Today's sermon is on Zacchaeus, and you may have learned in Sunday school that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, but did you know that he was not the shortest man in all of Scripture? I know some of you, I know some of you know that the shortest man in Scripture is in the book of Job, and it is, of course, Bildad the Shuhite. He was only as tall as a shoe, okay? That's right. Uh, you know, Bill did the shoe height. He, he had trouble providing for his family. He, he couldn't put food on the table. Uh, <clears throat> he was pickpocketed once. I didn't think anyone could stoop so low. I could have just called this a short sermon, but that might have got your hopes up. <laughs> uh, so we think of Zacchaeus, and we know he was, he was uh, not a tall man, he was a short man. But we think, how, how short was he? He wasn't actually small enough to fit through the eye of a needle, but that's, that's what's going to happen here. If you were here a few weeks ago, we heard Jesus talk uh, to a rich man and, and say to him that it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which means that 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 is an impossible thing to have happen. You're not going to get a camel, the biggest animal that these people would have seen, through a little eye of a needle, okay? What it meant is that this is impossible, but then Jesus said, but with God, uh, anything is possible. And so in this story, we see him doing that. Remember when I said it's impossible to get a rich man through the eye of a needle, okay, only God can do that. Here Jesus is saying, hold my Coke Zero. Watch this happen. Watch me do this. So let's read here Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because, of, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Uh, He was, he has gone into, he has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's work through this. And in one sense, this is about Zacchaeus, but really Zacchaeus is not the main character in this story. Jesus is the main character. And so the first thing we're going to see as we look through this is that Jesus, he calls sinners. 
So working through this, verse 1 and 2, he entered Jericho. In last week's message, he was on the way to Jericho, and there were crowds that were coming out and leading him in, and that's when Jesus healed uh, a a blind man on the way there. And it mentions uh, Zacchaeus. And it says that he was the chief tax collector and was rich. And that's because he was the chief tax collector. Uh, Actually, Jericho was one of three main centers in Israel for collecting taxes. So not only was it true that usually if you were a tax collector, you 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 were rolling in the dough, because, again, how that would work out, and this also explains how people, why would they feel this way, because uh, about tax collectors is basically the tax collecting duties were farmed out to the highest bidder, and then they got to basically fleece their area, and they were required to collect a certain amount that got handed over to, to Rome, but hey, whatever they could squeeze out of people, uh, they could keep all the rest. And so you had no way of filing grievances or uh, you didn't know how much you're really supposed to pay and however much they could get out of you. So he was considered a traitor to his people and he was uh, yeah, very wealthy you know, by getting all these funds. And again, Jericho is one of these chief centers. He was a chief tax collector too. So he had other people kind of under the pyramid scheme working for him and uh, he was probably a very, very wealthy man. So if it is uh, difficult for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven, this, this would be uh, somebody that would definitely fit into that category. A very, very wealthy man and very, uh, very despised, too. I mean, if you were choosing to go into the job of being, being a tax collector in those days, you were, uh, you were choosing to be rich and you were choosing to be hated. You knew that everyone, your fellow countrymen, were going to despise you, and you were deciding, I'm okay with that because I'm going to be filthy rich. And that's who he was. But in verse 3, it says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see this. And the way that the the word is written, it seems like this has been something that he's been wanting to, to, to know for quite a while. He had this curiosity and uh, who is this Jesus? What is going on here? Something was uh, moving in his heart. And was this just mere curiosity? What's, the, uh, what's all the commotion about? Or was there something deeper that was going on that God was prodding in his heart? You know, we know that one of the, one of the apostles was Levi, also known as Matthew, and he was a tax collector. You kind of wonder, did they know each other? Uh, did he know about, you know, Levi you know, that one of Jesus's, uh, his disciples, his key apostles, is another tax collector. Who knows? You know, maybe that got his interest, realizing someone, someone like me, Jesus has accepted. We don't, we don't know that, but Zacchaeus, he wanted to find this out, but there were two problems. One, there was a crowd, and this would, uh, this would be a problem just of itself, even if he Uh, wasn't vertically challenged because he was a tax collector. And in that day, tax collectors usually didn't do crowds because if you are in a crowd like this and a lot of people, it can be really easy for a knife to get stuck in your back and for nobody to really know who did this and uh, that's the, the end of you. 
So there were reasons for him to, uh, to be shy of the crowds and to be avoiding that. And the other problem was, was his height. And he just physically wouldn't have been able to see. And so it says that, that he ran ahead, which even this, this is something, uh, we noted this when we talked about uh, the, the prodigal son and his father that rich, powerful adult men in that they did not run in public. It was considered demeaning. But Zacchaeus, he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to see Jesus. There was something moving in his heart, and he was willing to possibly embarrass himself. He ran ahead, and he needed to before the crowd got there. And it said he climbed a tree, which was also something that respectable, powerful men in that culture did not do. You were not climbing trees. Uh, now, I would still climb a tree. Okay, I am not a rich, powerful man in that culture, or this culture either. Um, and climbing trees is fun, but in that day, you just wouldn't do this. Uh, he climbed a sycamore tree. Specifically, it would have been the ficus sycamorus, a little bit different than the sycamore trees here, uh, and this would be a picture of one on the screen. Uh, they grow in different parts of Africa and the Middle East. And this, is, this picture is from Ethiopia, but basically the same tree. So these are, these are large trees. They could be pretty tall, 40 or more feet, uh, but they were very broad, very, very leafy, and they're easy to climb. I mean, if you were a kid and you wanted a good climbing tree, this would be a great one because you could get on those first branches and you could climb up it. The branches went way out, you know, so maybe going over a road, you know, so it could be just kind of hanging over where Jesus uh, was. And the leaves, these would work out pretty well if you didn't necessarily want to be seen by a crowd that hates you. And if they see you, might start throwing things at you and pointing and laughing. So we don't know for sure, but I think it makes sense that Zacchaeus was hoping to catch a glimpse, hoping to check out Jesus, but didn't really want to be noticed by the crowd, especially when he's literally caught up in a tree and there's nowhere he can go, nowhere he can hide once he's, once he's singled out here. So uh, these trees, very broad branches, very easy to climb. And yeah, he climbs up and he waits for Jesus and the crowd to come by. And then we see... What happens here? Verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, we have to think through this, and we want to think through it slowly. So they come by, and we don't know for sure if somebody else had seen Zacchaeus, and the crowd had kind of outed him and pointed him out. Look at is it, it's Zacchaeus up there. And people are pointing and laughing, and maybe that's how Jesus uh, hears his name. Or that Jesus is the one that pointed him out. But in either way, there's a moment of time here where the crowd, uh, either they see him or Jesus sees him first, where Zacchaeus's, I think, worst nightmare comes true. And this massive crowd of people that despise him realize that he is up in a tree uh, trapped up there, nowhere to go, nowhere to hide in this embarrassing uh, position that would be humiliating. 
and Jesus calls him out, Zacchaeus. And if we just pause there, we don't know how quickly Jesus said this, how much there was a pause, but there had to be, I think, just a moment of, I think, of terror for Zacchaeus as he's up there. What is going to happen next? What is this, this rabbi going to do? I mean, most rabbis, is he going to call him out for his sin? Is he going to say, crowd, look at, look at this one. That is the despised one. Let's, let's all heap our condemnation upon him together. You know, let him be the example of everything that you want to avoid and not be like. Shun him and turn away from him. But instead, after this pause, Jesus extends him grace. He extends him this, this mercy. And he calls him. And he calls him into fellowship with him. He calls him into the honor of saying, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay at your place today. I want to I come and invade your life. I want to invade your home, your, your innermost territory. I, I must be there. He calls out to him. And this would have just, well, you can see in the text, the crowd is blown away by this. This would have been unheard of. For a prominent rabbi in those days uh, to treat him this way, but to say that he is going to go and, and stay at his house, in his home, to have fellowship with him in that way. I mean, having table fellowship with someone, this was, that was a huge, big deal. And to stay there? If I was going on a trip um, and... Let's say I, I'm going to Chicago for a while, and you find out that, yeah, well, I'm going there. I'm going to be staying at the, the mansion of this uh, Chicago mafia, mafia crime boss that I'm going to go with. Now, I'm, uh, I'm not Jesus. I'm the, the, the pastor of a local church. Uh, but you still might think that's kind of an odd thing to do. You might wonder, is that, is that quite appropriate for you to be staying at the, uh, the mansion of a uh, mafia crime uh, boss. So whatever you're thinking there, beyond that is what this crowd was thinking, that, that Jesus was going to be staying at Zacchaeus's home here. But this is what Jesus was doing. This is what Jesus called out to him. He said Jesus came to call sinners. He didn't come just to call the, the righteous. He didn't come just to call the, the good, but he came to call sinners. And that, when we look at this, and we look at other things that Scripture teaches, we can see that there is, there is a calling that is more than just sound waves coming out of a mouth. I mean, there, there's a calling that everyone can hear where uh, the, the pastor, the word of God, we hear you're, you're called to repentance because you ought to. Jesus came so that you may have life. If you respond, if you come to him, you are implored to, to turn to Jesus, to come to him for salvation. Uh, scripture wants you to do this. We want you to do this. This is a responsibility that you have. There's also a calling in Scripture that it talks about that is, is like a harpoon that goes to your heart. 
that pierces whatever, whatever armor, whatever you have, and goes to your heart and, and lodges in your heart like a harpoon and, and drags you to Jesus. And if you are a believer, it is because you have received that kind of calling. This kind of harpoon-like calling from God that goes out and, and drags you to him. You see, on our own, we're not seeking. We're not coming after Jesus. We, we know that because Scripture tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 3, 11, there, there's no one who seeks. If God left you and I to our own choices, our own heart's desires as sinners, the only thing we would do would be to run away from God forever. We are, as sinners, rebels at heart. We only want to run away from him. We, we, we of our own, don't want to run towards him. And that's why we need this calling. We need God to, to harpoon our hearts and, and turn us to him. And then we do come to him. We come to him willingly because by his grace, he is working in our heart and changing our heart, changing us from the inside out. And you may not have realized that that's what was happening, but your salvation is not because you are so good that, that you saw the light, that you decided to do the right thing. It was, we realized later on it was God working in us the whole time, calling us. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God called you into fellowship with him. It's, it's more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is beautiful and wonderful. You need forgiveness so you don't go to hell forever. But the greatest thing about salvation is not just not going to hell, but it's being with him, being in fellowship with God, the, the God that, that created you, the God that you were designed for, the God that your, your heart was originally wired to find your happiness in, and for him to bring you back to him and to set you right so that instead of trying to find your happiness in all these wrong things that never actually work, you can find your happiness in, in the one that you were designed for, that fellowship with him. I mean, Scripture talks about us being adopted into his family, being made co-heirs with Christ, uh, brother with, with Christ. Uh, God the Father is our adopted father. This is a beautiful, amazing thing, the fellowship we have been called into. The plan is, God willing, after starting with Easter, I want to start a short series on union with Christ. And what does that mean? It's a biblical theme. It's all throughout Scripture. What does it mean to come into union with Christ, and how does this matter for us? Well, we're called into fellowship with him. Another passage, I think, that talks about this kind of calling is in the book of Romans, starting with, in chapter 8, verse 28. Great passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And we're, we're going to get to that in a second. Part of what God is doing is he wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Just keep that in mind for, for point two. 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, okay, fellowship with him, uh, being a brother of, of Jesus Christ, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified, declared us righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there's a type of calling that just, it goes to the heart. And it, it brings us to God and praise God for that. I think something else we want to get out of this is just to remind ourselves, this is a breathtaking thing. We take this for granted. Jesus calls sinners. He doesn't just call those that we would choose to call. You know, if it was just left to us, we think, yeah, Jesus, he should call everyone, and especially uh, the, the powerful and the really good people and the nice people and the smart people and the people that smell good. And we list all these things, and yeah, he should call them. Uh, maybe a few others, maybe, but probably not. Uh, we, we'd pick the cream of the crop. That's who we would pick for the list. Jesus came to call sinners. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 26, think of this. It says, consider your calling, brothers. So Christian, consider your calling. And think if this should give you pride or humility. Okay, should you all be all puffed up? I'm better than everyone because I was called. This, this way he said, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God likes to call the low. He likes to call those that uh, the world wouldn't necessarily call. And that's, guess what, that's why you and I are here. Okay? Um, and, and God came to save all. He, he also came to save the rich. He came to save the powerful. He came to save people that have lived seemingly nice lives and people that have lived miserable lives. And the real truth is we are all sinners. It's just a matter of what kind of sin have you done. There's some kind of sins that most people look down upon and some sins that people are free to ignore. But whether you're, you're picking your poison, poison A or poison B, we're all sinners. The good news, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to call us into relationship. Way back in chapter 5 of Luke, we read this, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He mentions repentance there. That's a part of this too. So do, do we see that at all in the story with Zacchaeus? We, we definitely do. So the next point, we see this, is that Jesus, he not only calls sinners, but Jesus transforms sinners. And wow, do we see this in the life of Zacchaeus. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. 
that now it's Jesus being in relationship. He, there, there is definitely joy there that is coming from the heart of Zacchaeus. Now, the crowd, uh, they didn't like this. They, they grumbled. Why him? Why did you, you're going to choose to, to go to, to his home, to have fellowship with, with, with him? Uh, he doesn't deserve this. He didn't earn this. We should, be, we should be throwing garbage at him, and you're giving him honor? You're letting him have fellowship with you? Verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, and I'll just say this, we don't know exactly when this happened. Was this right on the spot? Was this later on at Zacchaeus' house, somewhere in the middle? Uh, we, we just don't know exactly. I mean, the way that the story is written, it's, it's ten verses here. There's a lot of things going on. It's, it's kind of compressed. But either way, it seems that what Zacchaeus is saying here, he's saying publicly, he's saying so that people can hear this. This is a public commitment, not just one of these off-the-cuff the things that he's going to back out of later. But this is a genuine thing coming out of his heart. And uh, he says to Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This was a man that was so greedy before that he was willing to choose the life of a tax collector, choosing that he was okay being hated by everyone so that he could be filthy, stinking rich. And now there's been a change in his heart. And so he is willing to, to let go of this. He's willing to do what he has conviction that what he needs to do is start making things right. And, you know, sometimes if we think, you know, giving 10% of our income can be, you know, a lot. Um, and he was, he was a wealthy man, but he said uh, half of his goods he was going to give to the poor. In Jewish culture, if, if you were given 20%, they said that that was considered extremely generous. And some thought, if you're going beyond 20, that's, that's imprudent for you to be doing that. But he's like half of it. Straight up, half of it I'm going to give to the poor. And also, I'm going to figure out people that I have ripped off, and I'm not only going to pay them back. And according to Old Testament law in Leviticus uh, 6.5, it talks about if you've stolen anything, you, you return it along with another fifth. But he says, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Realize this probably was going to leave Zacchaeus with either next to nothing, maybe nothing. I don't even know if he would have enough resources to, to completely fulfill this. I mean, he was vowing to have a complete change of life here. This wasn't just, I'm going to get rid of a little bit of my excess. This was showing a genuine, radical, to-the-root heart change in his life. So what we see here, this is, this is the fruit of repentance. The fruit of, of him turning away from his sin and turning to the Lord. Repentance is the flip side of the coin of faith. We're saved by faith alone, but if you think of a quarter, there is, there's heads and there's tails. And you can't separate the two. They both go together. And repentance and faith are really the two sides of the same thing. So you see scripture oftentimes where it talks about repentance and faith. Sometimes it'll just say faith. Sometimes it'll just say repentance. Because, I mean, if you saw a quarter on the ground, 
and if you just saw the head side, you would know the tail side is still there. You can't separate them. But these two things really go together because repentance is, is turning away from your sin, saying, I, I don't want this anymore. I, I'm going to reject rebelling against God because now I see who the Lord is and turning to Christ. So if you're turning to Christ, you're also turning away from all the things that displease Christ. So that is what repentance is if we're thinking of it in the right way. Acts 20.21 says this, it says, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Two sides of the same coin. And saving faith is not a work. It is not something we do to earn salvation. And actually, genuine repentance is not a work either. We don't earn our salvation by repenting, by having a changed life. And it's important to realize that. You know, in our church doctrinal statement, it talks about this. As it says this in a way that I think is very clear. Let me read this to you. This is Article 8, Repentance and Faith. It says, we believe that repentance and faith are solemn obligations and also inseparable graces wrought in our soul by the quickening spirit of God. The spirit produces these in our heart, thereby being deeply convicted of our guilt, danger, and helplessness and of the way of salvation by Christ. We turn to God with unfeigned contrition that means we're, we're sorry and we're not faking it. Confession and supplication for mercy. We're asking for his mercy. At the same time, heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and openly confessing him as our only and all-sufficient Savior. So there's repentance, and that's what goes in in our heart. And the fruit of repentance is what people will see when that's real. There's going to be a change in our life as our, as our heart is changed. And so the people that were seeing this with Zacchaeus, they're, they're seeing this change in his life. And for some of you, there may have been something dramatic too. There may have been the old you that everyone knew and uh, different ways that you were in and things that you loved and things that you were into. And when Jesus got a hold of you, wow. There was a change, and it was something that people noticed. I've talked to you about my dad. He was a bartender. He owned a tavern in Wisconsin because he loved to drink. And when he got saved when I was five years old, he gave up drinking cold turkey, by God's grace, sold the tavern. Huge testimony to the people in, in our little town in Wisconsin. Just not a normal thing that, that happens to people. Now, God doesn't always change us all in the same way. He doesn't change us all in the same rate. He doesn't always tackle the same things in all of our lives. But there's going to be something going on. If it's, if it's genuine salvation, the Holy Spirit moves into your heart and he starts changing you from the inside out. If there's no change going on, if you're still just as fine loving all of your sins the exact same way before you supposedly came to faith, you better really check if it was the real deal. Because that would be a sign that there was some kind of short circuit there and maybe something wasn't quite right and you didn't, you weren't really born again because there's no signs of new life. 
But when we are saved, there's going to be signs of new life. Things that we, you didn't love before, suddenly you do. You, you used to not care at all about God's Word. It was the most boring thing in the world, sitting through a sermon and hearing about this and, oh, this verse and the next verse. Oh, you know, just give me a nice little story and distract me from, you know, God's Word. But now your heart has changed. You want to hear God's Word laid out. What is, what is God saying to me? This is life to you. This is nourishment. You know, coming together with church. Maybe there's a time where it used to be, oh, I'd so much rather be sleeping or playing golf or doing anything than this. It's so boring. And God changes your heart. And now it's, I, I want to get together with God's people. I want to worship the Lord. I, I want to do this. God puts new loves into your heart. Things that you used to love. Now, all of a sudden, you don't love them the same way. The, the sins that you used to enjoy so much, it's just different now. I wish I could say that it's all new, it's that you're done with sin, but no, it's something we struggle with. You're, when you're saved, you're a new creation in Christ. Behold, the, the old is gone, the new has come. But as uh, one theologian put it, you're, you're, you're genuinely new, but you're not yet completely new. You still have the remains of the old sin nature in you, and it's battling it out. And that's what it's going to be until, until glory, until the Lord takes you. And, and then one day, all you'll want to do is not sin. You won't have any desire to sin anymore. And wow, what a great day that will be. So the Lord saves us. He gives us this repentance, a changed life. We see that for Zacchaeus, the fruit of this repentance, it was costly for him, and oftentimes it is for us. It might mean someone comes to Christ and they realize, i got to leave a relationship that I was in, that this is not healthy, this is not glorify God, this is not a good thing. Sometimes it means people leaving a job. Sometimes it means leaving a whole career behind. They may say, well, that's a big sacrifice, but sometimes people realize that's what they ought to do in order to please the Lord. There have been people that have been saved and realized, I need to turn myself into the authorities. And you think, well, that's crazy. They're like, well, no, that's what I, I need to do. Or there might just be lesser things. I got to stop doing Sin X. I got to stop watching that show. I got to stop listening to this or, or saying this or i got to stop sleeping in on Sundays. The grace that saves us is also grace that transforms. It changes our life from the inside out. Um, not in an instant, but it's a, prog a progressive thing that happens. And it's been said, I think rightly so, that, that Jesus loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like you are that would not be genuine love to just affirm you in your sin and say, carry on. He says, you're forgiven, sin no more. Because sin is destructive. Stop drinking that poison. It's bad for you. It doesn't please God. It's, he, want, he loves you enough to pull you out of that. Grace that saves is also grace that transforms. And finally, at the end, just bringing this all together, Jesus saves sinners. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, for since he is also a son of Abraham. Now, in one sense, duh, yeah, he was a, he was a Hebrew. He was a physical descendant of Abraham. We get that. But I think Jesus is not just saying that he was a physical descendant of Abraham. He's saying something even more important. He's a spiritual descendant. You know, a, a son of someone is someone that is like their father. Abraham had saving faith. So to be a son of Abraham in that sense is to have saving faith in God. Romans chapter 4, 16 says, that is why it, talking about the promise of salvation, depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And that's why we read in other places, Galatians 3, and also that the gospel is spread to the Gentiles. Those are, that are also not physical descendants, but we are sons of Abraham in the sense of being like him if you as well have faith in God for your salvation. So salvation doesn't come by nationality, by what family you're a part of. It's if you, do you personally have your faith in Jesus Christ as the one that came to save you? The one that that lived the perfect life and died on the cross for you? In Galatians it said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Do you believe that Jesus became a curse for you? That he, he went to the cross and died on the cross, taking your punishment, taking your curse upon himself. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. As we get closer to Good Friday, that's what Jesus was doing. Hanging on that tree, hanging on a cross, bearing the curse for all those that will place their faith in him. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Zacchaeus' action, his transformed life, these were not the cause of his salvation. They were the results. They were the fruit of his salvation, the fruit of what the Holy Spirit had done in his heart and his life. And Jesus came, verse 10, the Son of Man, the Messiah, came to seek and to save the lost. The truth is, we were not seeking him. We would have kept running away forever, but he came. He came for us. He came to find us even when we weren't looking for him. Like a, like a mountain rescue party, there's a, a mountain climber, and he's not calling for help. He's unconscious laying in the snow. And that's us. And Jesus came to seek us and to save us, to seek you and to save you. And that's why Zacchaeus, is, he's not the hero of this story. Yeah, he climbed the tree and he ran ahead and he did this. It's because God was working in his heart and his life. Jesus is the hero of the story. He's the one that came to seek and save someone that was as lost as Zacchaeus. And he's the one that is here to save someone maybe as, as lost and as miserable as you. And you may think that you are the worst sinner in this room and there's no way God could be seeking you. There's no way God could be calling you 
to have a relationship with him, the Lord God, creator, almighty of the universe. But I tell you, based on the authority of God's word and the gospel, that's the truth. Okay? That God wants you into a relationship with him. And may the Lord be working in your heart. May uh, God's word go out from scripture here by the power of the Holy Spirit, like that harpoon into your heart. And may you respond and turn to him in saving faith. And may you walk out of this building here today saved. I pray if you understand this, maybe you pray at the end here and you trust him. If you want to go talk to somebody in the prayer room, right to the right here as you leave, someone would love to counsel you from God's word and to explain how you can know that you have eternal life. Oh, but I'm a sinner. Yeah, good news. That's exactly who Jesus came to save. The hero of the story also is is definitely not the crowd. And that's a reminder to us too. That's who we don't want to be in the story, the crowd. The crowd that was trying to keep Jesus away from the people he came to seek and save. Sorry, you're not the kind of person that Jesus is interested in. We want to live lives and speak with our lips so that people realize, no, you are exactly the type of person that Jesus Christ came for. He came for me, and he came for you. Jesus seeks us in our sin. He saves us despite our sin. And praise God, he doesn't leave us in our sin. It's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, all praise and glory go to you. Our salvation is completely by your grace. Thank you that by the power of your word and the spirit, Lord, you reach into our hearts and you call us into relationship, into fellowship with you based on what Jesus Christ has done in full for us, Lord God. For those of us that have accepted that and have fellowship, let us live that out more and more each day. And Lord, for anyone here that is still on their way, that is still struggling to run away, Lord, may they be caught by you. May they be turned. And may they realize the depth of the love that you have. May they enter into fellowship with you through the grace of Jesus Christ. To him be glory and praise forever. Amen.